It's spectacular. It's extraordinary. It's empowering. Breakout Conference 2018. He is an astute intellectual, an entrepreneur, mentor to leaders, a firebrand preacher, full of revelations and insights. I came to speak to somebody any gate that has been shut before you. May the Lord open that gate for your life. Any door that has been closed, may the Lord go ahead of you. A loyal friend, a father to many, and above all, a loving husband. The general overseer of the Maker's House Chapel International, one of the fastest growing and excellent churches in Ghana. Breakout Conference 2018. With a resounding round of applause and a standing ovation, shall we welcome our speaker, Dr. Michael Boydi Nyamiche. Samuel chapter number 24. 
against Samuel chapter 24. Numero 24. Um, I want to read from the verse 10. Yeah, I speak a bit of your languages as well. Just a bit. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have seen greatly in that I have done. I'm reading from the verse number 10, second Samuel chapter number 24, from the verse number 10. If you have it, you can say, I have it. If you're still looking for it, you can say, wait for me. Okay, hurry up. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet God. David see us, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. So God came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or will thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land. Now advise, and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto God, I am in great, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Bathsheba, 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough! Sheath your sword. Stay now thy hand, and the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arun at the Jebusite. David spoke unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, be against me, against my father's house. And God came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of God, went up as the Lord commanded. And Araunah looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Araunah went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. Araunah said, Wherefore is my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague stayed from the people. Naruna said unto David, Let my lord the king take an offer of what seemeth good unto him. Behold, he had the oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of, of the oxen for wood. All of these things did Naruna as a king give unto a king. And Naruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Naruna, Nay, no, no, I can't do that. But I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer bad offerings unto the Lord my God of that which does cost me nothing. 
So they need parts the threshing floor and the oxen of 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but your word will abide forever. We pray that in this time that you've given to us, O oh God, to share scripture, give us a word that works, O oh God. Anoint these lips of clay, make it an instrument that will bless somebody's life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before you take your seat, I want you to look for seven people and ask them, do you have an altar? Come on, look for seven people and ask them, do you seven people and ask them candidly, candidly, do you have an altar? What answers are you getting? Are you getting answers in the affirmative? Are you, are you getting confirmations of altars in the house? Please take your seats if you are. I started yesterday by telling you that revolutions are not possible without revelations. That for there to be revolutions or revolutions, you need a revelation. It is what you know that will inspire change. Actually, if you don't know and if you don't apply your heart to what you know and wisdom, there is no way change can be effected. There are many things that have been placed in our Bible book that you have, the holy book, the good book, people call it, that might never benefit you until you know the fullness of the mystery story. What you don't know cannot benefit you. Could somebody say what you don't know cannot benefit you. Um, Europe, America, Asia, Africa, the continents and our world had been built on altars. Now run through most of them very quickly, but everything that you see, everything in Great Britain, everything in England, everything in Scotland, everything in Europe, everything. How many of you have read the works of Bertrand Russell, the history of Western philosophy before? I know you are in England and you read. There is no place you go that is an Asian or Indian, American, wherever they go. So Asians, Indians, Chinese, wherever they go, they make sure that they erect altars. Europeans erected altars. They did their altars. They, um, how it started before they had a, uh, the Centenaria, having Christmases and how they would kill and um, sacrifice to the sun god. Uh, the Egyptians were doing it unto the Ra. The, the um, sun god and all that. They started all those things, but history and all that you might have heard about development and evolution and revolution started on altars. It tells you that altars are very important, and I'm going to explain what it means, but altars are extremely important. When we come to church, we think that an altar is just this wooden frame, this thing that we stand on. Um, 
So he erected an altar means an erection. So he erected, you lift it from the ground, which means that you place an altar above um, human realm or human reach or what people can naturally do for themselves or against an other, other people or other persons. Altars happen to be a system. An altar is not the wood or the stone you see. An altar is a system. It's a system that can work for somebody or work against another person. An altar appears to be a spiritual system that can favor a cause or come against other people. The problem is that we come to church and we think that um, where we desecrate, where, where we consecrate, sorry, as an altar, we desecrate them by people going on altars, standing on altars, people um, and chit-chatting on altars, people sitting on altars and talking to each other, even after services. We go to churches and where they consecrate as an altar, you find that after service, people will be sitting on it, people will be hanging around it, and people will even be taking photographs around the altar. The altar happens to be a spiritual system that can work for or work against. I want you to get the basics right so that we can run. An altar is a spiritual system. Look at somebody and say it's a spiritual system. Look at somebody else and say it is a spiritual system. So an altar is a spiritual system. An altar is not just a physical stone or wood you see people come and put it together and either putting sacrifices on, but an altar is a so when you go, uh, those of you that have been uh, following Nigerian movies, I know you don't, but those of you that have, is there anybody who has watched it? Okay, you look at me straight, don't, don't look at anybody. But those of you that have been watching Nigerian movies, you, you, you realize that they go, and African movies, of course, they go to shrines, and you see, um, you see carvings, and you'll be putting things on it, and you see something scary, and something horrible, um, dead place, but horrible, and it's there. The spirit is not in the thing. What you see there is just the system, a representative of a system that can work for or work against somebody. So uh, an altar is a spiritual system. The first time an altar was mentioned in the Bible was in the book of Genesis chapter number 8. In Genesis chapter number 8, after the world had flooded, after God had flooded the earth, and the Bible says that um, everything had gone. The man called Noah got out from the ark, and the Bible says the first thing that he did was that he took clean animals and sacrificed them. He erected an altar and sacrificed them. But hitherto, before he did that, in the book of Genesis, the first people to raise altars were the people of um, Cain and Abel. They were the first people to raise altars. But the first time altar was mentioned in the Bible was in the book of Genesis, chapter number 8. Altar represents presence. Altar, there is no way in those days, whether in the West or in Africa or in the East, Far East, India, China, all those places, there was no way they would ever get into a new territory without erecting an altar. An altar tells you who is in charge. Altar depicts control. It gives territorial presence. It tells you who is there. It tells you who rules or reigns in that territory. That's what an altar does. And so you read the account of Abraham and the Bible says that after God had met the man called Abraham and asked him to leave his father's house, Abraham began to move about. 
everywhere he was moving he got to a place called Bethel and settled in Bethel when he settled in Bethel the Bible says that he erected an altar in Bethel when Abraham erected an altar in Bethel the Bible says that generations down the line of course Abraham gave birth to Isaac Isaac also gave birth to Jacob he saw Jacob but Jacob the Bible says that Jacob after he also wondered whatever you don't stop will always repeat itself in a bloodline you see, most of us, the problem is that we did not arrest or close chapters or pages from the past. And they followed us into the, the now. And if we don't stop it, they will follow our children and their children. I want us to begin to understand that what Abraham fought, the man called Isaac fought the same thing. The man called Jacob fought the same thing. They, they were patterns. And every bloodline have their own patterns. Abraham wandered, became a wanderer, was moving from one place to the other. Isaac did the same. Abraham struggled to have a child. Isaac also did the same. If, if you don't stop patterns, patterns will follow you. There are, there are some warfares that if our fathers had fought them, we wouldn't have the need to fight them. If our mothers had fought certain warfares, there would be no need for us to fight certain, certain warfares we are, we are encountering now. Check out the scripture. Now, the man called Jacob had also been wondering, he's been moving about up and down, and he got to a place called Bethel. And the Bible says that the man called Jacob who was tired, he needed a place to sleep, and so he picked a stone in Bethel and laid his head on the stone. When he laid his head on the stone, because somebody had already marked a place to be for God, erected an altar for God in Bethel, the Bible says that his eyes were open. He had a dream or a revelation. But the revelation, he saw that a ladder was connecting the heavens with the earth. There was a ladder from the earth to the heavens and he saw angels ascending and descending. Why would angels ascend and descend in that place? Because he had already dedicated or earmarked that place as a zone or a territory that belongs to God. And wherever you earmark as a place that belongs to God, there is always an ascension and descension of angels. What it tells you is that all just bring divine exchanges. It caused traffic on earth and it caused traffic in the heavens. Angels were going up, angels were coming down because a man decided to engage the heavens by building an altar and telling God that as far as Bethel is concerned, it is dedicated unto you. What is not dedicated to God is possessed by the devil. The problem is we don't have many things in our lives that we've dedicated to God. Whatever is not God's, obviously belongs to the devil. And so there was a divine traffic. Why would there be traffic? Now it was it was generations past. It was done by the grandfather Abraham. And yet, when Jacob got there, I believe that there were other people that got there and they dreamt and they did not see angels. Jacob saw angels, and why should he see angels? 
Because whatever is done by somebody in a bloodline has the legitimacy to repeat itself in other generations. That is why you have to rewire and reprogram generations to come after you. That whatever happened in your father's life, in your mother's life, in generations that have gone ahead of you will not repeat themselves in your life and in the lives of your children. I pray that God will raise new a new breed of people that will raise objects that will connect their generations to now watch the test. So other people might have been there, never had seen God. But what this man did caused traffic in the heavens, and angels were ascending and descending because somebody erected an altar. An altar tells who is in charge. Ask your neighbor who is in charge. Ask your neighbor in your life who has charge over your life. Ask your neighbor who has charge, who, who, who controls your life. So an altar tells what controls that territory. An altar tells that. Altar symbolizes presence. Altar tells you of presence. Altar tells you of presence. Altar tells of presence. I, I want to say that to the saints. Altar tells of presence. And so if there is a demonic altar, it tells of a demonic presence. If there is an occultic altar, it tells you of an occultic presence. If there is a divine altar, it tells you of the divine presence. If there is God's altar, it tells you of the presence of God. And so an altar denotes presence. And anything that carried presence was deemed to be an altar for God. So in those days the Bible says that he will be with them in a form of a pillar of fire by night and a form of pillar of clouds by day. That was depicting the presence of God. And anytime there is presence, there is a divine demarcation. The reason why our lives are like that of the unbelievers is because we have not learned to appreciate and reference and value the presence of God in our lives. But I pray that your eyes will be opened, that you'll be able to see God working for you when God works in your life. You see, what you don't know cannot benefit you. I want to take my time and hurry me get out of my introduction and get to the test. But what you don't know can help you. It tells you of presence. All this detail of divine presence. If there is an altar, it tells you who is in charge. It tells you who is there. So I don't need to be told that somebody is evil. If I see the presence or what happens around him, it gives me a clue. The manifestations around you tells who is in charge. What happens around you tells who has been controlling and manipulating your life. Altars are too important. It tells you of presence. It tells of presence. It gives away the idea of who is in charge, who is in control, what is occupying your seat of glory. That's what presence does. So in the olden days, you read the book of First Samuel chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and it tells you how the ark, which also symbolized presence, or the ark was a form of an altar to the people of God. 
for them, they had a mobile altar. That wherever they got to, they carried the ark of God with them. Maybe one of these days I have to spend some time and explain what was in the ark. The mysteries of it, the showbread, the, 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 the rope or the stuff of Aaron that budded. The Bible talks about the showbread, talks about the tablets and why they were all in the ark. You need the, the, the tablets. You need the word for covenant. You need a rod of direction and correction and rebuke for covenant. And in covenant there is a showbread. It means that there is a display of divine provision. When you walk with God, he provides for you. Sometimes we don't see provision because we don't walk with God. We, we think we do, but we don't. Because a man that walks with God, follows God, and obeys God. Jesus said, my sheep knows my voice, and they obey me. So there are people who, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's the same thing. Being in the garage doesn't make you a car. The fact that you are in a garage doesn't mean somebody can start you up and drive you. So you can be in church and not be a Christian or not believe in the sacraments of our faith. So if you follow God, there is a divine provision. There, there is a divine provision. Will they carry the altars of God with them wherever they go to? The mobile altar called the Ark of the Covenant that symbolized the presence of God was carried with them daily. They were moving with the Ark of God. The Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, that in the contest between the Israelites and the people of Philistia, the Philistines, the scripture says that they captured the ark. They took the altar. But the people of the world are so cunning, they are wise. Jesus said, the people of darkness are in these days wiser than the children of light. In these days. Why did he say that? When they picked the ark of the covenant, they did not send it to the palace of the king. Check your scripture. When they picked the ark of the covenant, they did not send it to the palace of the king or send it to the bedroom of the queen. They did not hide in, uh, in the museum and said to themselves that, okay, look at what we captured from the Israelites. No, they sent it to Dagon because they understood that it was the altar of the Israelites. And so when you meet an altar, you send it against an altar because they realize that life is a battle between altars. Look at somebody and say, life is a battle of altars. Oh, come on, look at somebody and say, life is a battle of altars. Can I get ready to preach to you? Look at somebody and say, life in itself is a battle of altars. And so these people understood that when you pick an altar, you don't put it on uh, in a museum. You don't put it in the palace of the king. But if you have an altar, you place it against another altar. So if you are not having victories, it tells you that certain altars have been manipulating your life. When they sent it to Dagon, that was this, the, the God who was partly, um, the form of Dagon was partly human and partly fish. So in the mind of the people of Philistia or in the minds of the Philistines, Dagon controls the aquatic and the terrestrial world. 
controlling the earth realm and the sea. They believe that Dagon was too powerful, that there is no deity that can stand against Dagon. They place the Ark of the Covenant of God. They place the altars of the people of Israel against the altars of Dagon. And the following morning they came and Dagon said, No, nobody stand before this God. Dagon was lying prostrate. They came back and said, Maybe a wind blew through the temple. Let us put Dagon back. Let us fix Dagon. Call everybody. Let's put our God together. Fix Dagon up. Thank God, my God cannot be fixed by any man. Thank God, your God cannot be fixed by any man. The Bible says that they put Dagon together. The following morning, they came to check on Dagon. Check whether their altar had stood against the altars of the people of Israel. But when they came, uh, Dagon had his head cut off, his limbs cut off, and Dagon had been pushed to the ground one more time. It tells you that a strong altar has the capacity to put asunder any other altar that the enemy will erect against your life. Can I introduce to you that you have the altar of God fighting for you? And I pray that any altar that the enemy will raise against your cause or against your life, may the altars of God fight for you. Altars can fight. Let me tell you something, people of God. They were able to carry the altars of God. And the altars of God was able to silence the altars of Dagon. The people of Israel could not go beyond enemy lines. But the altars of God was carried beyond enemy lines and it brought them victory. It tells you that where your voice cannot be heard, the voice of your altar can be heard. Where your legs cannot go, the legs of your altar can I talk to somebody. May the altars of your God and King rise to fight for you. Altars. Life is a battle of altars. There is no conquest without an altar. There is nothing that you can achieve without understanding what altars are. So, this phenomenon had been the process that had guided dispensations, Generations guided human existence. And if you get to a place, you have to erect an altar to tell any demonic presence that you have come here to. So that their altars will now come against your altar. And the altar that prevails becomes the saving altar of the whole land. The reason why Elijah was able to look at them and say unto them, that why do you people hold between two opinions? Let the God who answers by fire be the God who is in charge. The next thing he said, how do you prove that your God is a great God? And he said, let us all raise altars. Because God won't operate without a living altar. Oh, young man, haven't we moved from the Old Testament? Why are you using only Old Testament principles and philosophies? In the book of Revelation, chapter number 13, 
The verse number 8. The Bible says, Before the foundations of the earth were laid, the Lamb was slain. And so the slaying of the Lamb brought an eternal blood of sacrifice on the perpetual altars of God. God knew that for there to be redemption, there needed to be sacrifice. And sacrifice is not acceptable without an altar. Because something has to give in before an altar, before the deities of our God can be fully explored. So Jesus Christ is the blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So the blood of this covenant, the blood of God from Emmanuel's veins, the blood of the Elohim that so on Calvary's hills, on Golgotha's hills, the eternal blood of our redemption fell on the perpetual altars of our salvation. It became a voice that only does not redeem us. But once you are saved by him, there is an inscription on your life that says, touch not, because you see, the blood signifies who owns it. The altar tells who is in charge. And as long as the blood of the Lord is on you, it tells you who owns your life. That is what the Bible can say. Touch not my anointed and do my professional heart. And if the enemy comes up against you in the form of a flood, the Spirit of God shall lift up a standard against him. Why? Because it tells you who owns you. Altars tells of ownership. Altars. He tells who owns the thing. So in the Old Testament, that was how it was done. In the New Testament, I don't have to kill a lamb or a bullock or an oxen to access the altars of God. Because there is an eternal blood that still flows from Emmanuel's veins. And it hits the rocks of Calvary that becomes our altar of for the redemption. So if somebody tells you to kill an animal because they need to sacrifice for you, what they are doing is that they are inviting another spirit to possess your life. Because sacrifices that are not Christ-centric is demonic. And you can't kill anymore. If you read Petra Russell's book, Why I'm Not a Christian, he was telling why he doesn't go to church. I people that think they are too enlightened now. Why they won't go to church. And Petra Russell's when he was talking about um, yeah, how the church started from Constantine's time into the Knights Templars. In those days, they had a lot of resources. The church had money. The church had gold and silver. And the church was into the, the military of the church was something else. So they would bring in the loot, and they needed people to protect the, the, the loot. So they formed the Templars. They were called the Knight Templars, where they wanted to expand their territory. They asked for volunteers to come on board as builders. And they were called the Freemasons. So they were masons that were working for free. That was how it started. It didn't start as that 
occultic, demonic thing. It started, and most of the time, whatever. Oh, so when they killed the Knights Templars, because of course the um, in Europe, in Greater Europe, especially in Rome, the world was being controlled from Rome. So from Rome, they decided that the Knights Templars were becoming too powerful because they were now telling who should lead the nation. They had resources. And so the Templars became a state. When the Templars became a state, nobody wanted to own up as a Templar. So the ones that were enlightened and had gone to school, they formed what they called the Enlightened Group, the Illuminati. Called the Enlightened Ones. Now, because they understood altars, and every conquest of them, they did it with altars, and they knew of the, the perversion, they were able to erect altars and do invocations to command demonic presence to be able to guide their path. Money in itself does not respond to hard work. Money doesn't, that, the reason why you have worked for a long time and you don't have so much money of God is not because you are lazy or you are not prudent enough with money. Please don't get me wrong. I understand what scripture says. Go to the end, hold out slide, consider his ways and be wise. So God believes in enterprise. God believes in preserving what you are. God believes in industry. God believes in savings. Maybe one of these days I have to teach you the 10, 10, the 10, 10, no, the 10, 10, 20, 60 rule. Whereby whatever you get, it's in the Bible, whatever you get, how God will want you to multiply wealth. It's in the Bible, your 10, 10, 20, 60 rule. And whatever you get, 10% is a tithe. 10% is what you put into, 10% is what you put into savings and investments. 20% is what you use for yourself and help other people. And the 60% becomes your insurance. And if those things are put in vehicles, there is no way that Christian can be impoverished. But there are rules in the scripture. And that's not my purpose today. Actually, I want to talk about altars. The reason why we are having problems in our times is because we think that the more we work and the harder we work, the more prosperous we will become. But wealth does not respond because wealth in itself is not just money. The Bible says wealth has wings and it can fly away. It tells you that there is a spiritual root when it comes to wealth. And wealth does not respond to hard work, it responds to altars. Why do you think they say that people who join the, the cult and join all those, they become wealthy overnight? Why do you think so? Because wealth in itself responds to altars. So you can work so hard and still not make so much or you make so much and you will never be able to put it together and tell what you have been able to do for your life or for yourself. Because the concepts of wealth has always responded to altars. The concepts. Please understand these things before we pray tonight. Because I came here today to help us understand these things. 
the world responds to altars. Look at somebody and tell the person the world. Your world. My world. Our world responds to altars. Can you tap somebody else and tell the person that? Responds to altars. So an altar tells you who is in charge, what is in charge. It tells you that. Without an altar, you can't make the required progression in your life. So if you go through all those things, they don't, they all understood. From the times of old, from the Knight Templars to the Masons to the Illuminati, they, they still, those who are still in those courts, they still believe in the power of sacrifices on altars on particular times. There is nobody who is into any form of demon worship that doesn't understand the altars and the sacrifices thereof. The word altar from the Hebrew means the place of the slaughter. Place where there is a kill. Place of the slaughter. In the Greek, it means the place of the Holocaust. The slaughter and the Holocaust. Holocaust simply means mass slaughter anyway. And so there are people that have had mass slaughters over generations. The reason why there are people who, no matter how hard they push, they are not able to get over that line is because probably there were certain altars erected in certain dispensations that sacrifice what he is looking for. So if it is a place for the slaughter, it tells you I have been confronted by issues and I have met people and I've seen revelations of people who have had their marriages, marriages of the whole bloodline sacrificed. The people get into marriage and even though the man loved him, her, she wouldn't know what will happen. Immediately, overnight, she becomes like a beast to the man. The man doesn't even want to see her anymore. Because probably once upon a time, the marriages of the family were sacrificed. I'm telling you, the place of the of the slaughter, and so they can get up and slaughter a whole bloodline. I met somebody that I was ministering to, and the Lord opened my eyes, and I began to see things that were in the past of the person. Come, I said to the person, "What you are fighting is an altar issue." Tell to me, what do you mean? I said years ago, and that is what happened. He went back to the father who was alive, and the father confirmed that the grandfather had told him what happened in the family. In that family, there, were, there was money, but there were no people. They had wealth, but people couldn't live in the family. People were dying prematurely. And so they went to consult the deity and said, we need people to live long, and we need children in this house. They said, okay, if that is what you want, it's not a problem. Let us do an exchange. Give us the wealth 
and will give you children. And so the exchange was done, there was sacrifice, there were sacrifices on the altars of the deity, and so they began to have kids in the family. But there was no kid in that family that had been able to rise to prominence or breakthrough. And this young man is praying and believing God for breakthrough. And God told me the breakthroughs of that family had been sacrificed on an altar, and there is no way any of them could have gotten out. But didn't you say that when somebody comes into Christ, it's a new creator, that all things have passed away and all things are becoming? Yes, that is what scripture says, and that is what is true. But when you become a new creator and then all things are passed away, it doesn't mean you lose your skin complexion. It doesn't mean that the melanin goes down. I am super black. When I became born again, I didn't turn into a light-skinned man. And, and my black type or my black group did not change. I still remain an old positive. I still remain whatever I am. My genome doesn't change. My genetic code is the same. What has changed is I, I am now focused on Christ-centered. Now I renew my mind daily because I have been programmed before I met him. So if I don't renew my mind, I will see a young lady and even though I am married, I can still have cravings for the young lady if I don't program my mind that know that is not who you are. The reason why most of us are not living right is because we think, oh, and, and unfortunately, the 21st century theology is not helping. The one saved forever saved concept. That as soon as you become born again, no more your name is written in the book of life, and so you are done. You can whatever sin you do is a sin against your body, not against God. And people are busily pushing that agenda. The man has been pushing, working hard. But he can't rise. He's been praying, but he cannot rise. God told me there are certain altars in the family that have been fighting against the people. There are people who no matter how good they look, beautiful, well-cultured, or mannered they are, it appears to see whoever they get into contact with, they become offensive to them. They can't settle down. They cannot, if they want, not everybody wants to get married, understand that. Not everybody. I've met with people who say, no, for me, I don't want to get married. I want to be um, um, career-focused and build a career for my life. And um, um, I, I, if I want a child, I'll do an artificial insemination. And uh, I said, okay, okay, God bless you. I met a lady in America, and she was giving me a whole lengthy lecture on how he doesn't need a man to paint head down. I said, who told you the men of these days, they pin down, they even push up. <laughs> I said, no man has the time to pin it down. Because by pinning somebody down means that you have to be down also. Because you have to be down to keep the person down. Because if you can have the person get up. So we don't have time pinning you down. We have time to push you down because we want to rise also. May the Lord introduce to you, those of you who are not married, a man that will push you up. Oh, I pray for somebody. I'm excited about all this because it's important. If you are not mindful, there are people who, as I told you, people who in marriages they can't marry 
Not because they are not pleasant people. Not because they are not good looking. Not because they are not beautiful. But because marriages might have been slaughtered on altars. That there is nobody. If you check through, that's why I started with bloodlines. If you check through the bloodline, you might realize that this person went into a marriage, it failed. Another person went in, it failed. Another person went in, it failed. It's giving you a clue what has prevailed over the life. And instead of you understanding that this is an altar issue, you think it is a, an ego issue. Oh, the man, uh, that man is not loving enough. Maybe there is something that is causing the man to be unloving. And it's an altar thing. There are people that have had encounters that could have resulted into massive breakthroughs, but they could never break through because of the altar issue. Please follow this. I'll get into the test. I'm giving you a lengthy introduction. I guess it's in the test. Watch this. If you don't deal with the altar, the altar will deal with you. Can I rewind and press play? If there are satanic altars around you and you don't deal with the satanic altars, the satanic altars will rather deal with you. There are families that know. I, I, I met a lady. There is a lady in our church back in Ghana. And the lady, uh, in her family, nobody lives beyond 40 years. Nobody lives beyond 40 years. If you are 39, at least that is your almost last birthday. As soon as you celebrate your 40th year, it won't take more than three months you die. And it's been one generation after the other. No, they've never seen what is called granddad or grandmom before. Because when you are 40, it's time to go. I was ministering in church one day and the Lord opened my eyes and I called the lady out and I said, in your family, everybody dies by the age of 40 and you are left with a few months to get 40. And I see the same thing that carries people by their 40th year waiting to carry you away. And she, and she broke down, she started crying. I engaged the whole church into prayer and I saw all just deployed against the people of the family and it was swallowing the lives of the people. I told you, an altar denotes presence. An altar tells you what is in charge. Just as the hypothetical, we started praying and I saw the altar coming down and I said unto her, there is no way anybody will die again after today. And the lady has lived on, the lady is now about 43, 44 years and she's still alive and she's the first person to call the 40 year old. possible because it is not by my personal capacity. We were able to deploy the altars of Elohim against the altars of darkness. We pray that may the altars of God be erected for you and may the altars of God fight against any satanic altar that has been fighting against the people in your family. Look at someone and say I have a divine altar. So come and talk to you people tell them there is a divine altar. I wish I could get people engaged now. Look at three people, tell them there is a divine altar. Life's battles 
I'd always be Old Testament against Old Testament of God. It's the Old Testament you submit to that determines the victories you will get in your times of afflictions. It's the Old Testament that defends your cause that will determine what will become of your life. It's the Old Testament you yield to that will inform your dividends. It is the altars that speak for you that determines what will be drowned around you. Life is a battle of altars. That is why when the man called Moses was given the rod, which was a symbol of presence, and it became his living altar, Mugaric altar. The Bible says that when he was confronted by Pharaoh, he had to put down the rod, and the rod turned into a serpent. When the rod turned into a serpent, the rods of the magicians or the soothsayers or the fetish priests around Pharaoh also turned into serpents. It tells you that the devil will always raise altars against your altar. Not one altar, altars against your altar. But check this out. When the demonic altars turn against the divine altar, the Bible says that Moses' serpent swallowed all the other serpents. But check the mystery of the scripture. The serpent or the rod of Moses did not increase in size. It tells you that no matter what is deployed against the man, the capacity of our God makes it negligible. I pray in the name of Jesus. Whatever altar has been deployed against you, may the altars of your God swallow them out. I pray, I feel I pray for somebody right now. May the altars of your God swallow up any satanic altar that has been erected against your cause. Your life has been going through bumpy rides because of altars. It's an altar thing. In the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 24, God had told the man called David not to conduct a census. Don't count the people. Why should he die? So that the people will not feel they are numbered. I want to fight for you. I want to be the one who fights for you. But if you count them, they will be discouraged. Because the number of the troops that the Philistines and the armies of the Amorites are breaking against you are bigger. The numbers are huge. When you compare your numbers to their numbers, you'll be discouraged and so don't come. David wanted to please himself. Those are the dangers of self-worship. When you want to put yourself on a pedestal of glory, when you want to be the all in all, when you want to do things your own way. Most of us as Christians, we are not led by, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So sonship is about followership. Sonship. If you are a son, you follow. You cannot say that you are a son or a child of God and you have questions when God asks you to do something. God is demanding something. Lead me and I will follow. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. And they 
follow or obey me. So your, your obedience will always trigger a divine release. The reason why God doesn't give to us is because of our obedience levels. God had told him, do not. And he said, I've already done it. And most of us, that's what we do. I remember about 15, to, we are in 2018, no, should be more. In 1998, I told, 1998 to be 20 years ago. 20 years ago, there was a man of God that wanted to get married to a beautiful damsel. Beautiful young lady. And the lady could sing. She could sing for angels to want to kiss the earth. The lady could sing. And the man of God came to me and said, uh, this is the lady I want to marry, so let us, let's all pray in turn. Okay. He came the following day to me and said, she's not your wife. The man was mad. So how can you say that? God has spoken to me. She is my wife. I will not let this victory pass me by. Because the, the young man was moved by the, the aesthetics, was moved by the beautiful legs and the hips, <laughs> was moved by what the eyes could see. Went ahead, married this young lady. Fast forward. Five years later, I was minding my business somewhere. The guy came to me and said, uh, Man of God, what's up? He said, I want you to stand with me in prayer. I said, I will stand with you in prayer. What, what is the, what's the problem? He said, pray with me because I want my wife to die. This is what he said. He said, if I divorce my wife, people are going to accuse me of divorce. And in a part of the world, and not like Europe, where if there is a divorce, people, okay, there is a divorce. In a part of this, there is a divorce. Hey, man of God, you will see man of God. So he doesn't want to be called a, a divorced man of God. He wants to be called a widow one. a widower, then you will have the liberties to remarry. But if it is divorced, you will not have the courage to go out there and preach the gospel. The great is that, man of God, please stand with me. I want my wife to die. I said to him, your wife will live long. Your wife will live long. She will live so long. The number of her days the Lord will fulfill. There is no way she will die prematurely. She will not die but leave and declare the horrors of God. The man was furious. He said, I didn't come to you to make pronouncements of, of life. I wanted you to bring a prophetic release to kill the woman. Then I sense in my spirit that the woman is going to act in our you. 
You will die and the woman will be there. You want the woman to see going nowhere. The man of God had married somebody who, although she was angelic at work, she could sing like an angel. The lady after service can hold the pastor and slap the pastor before the congregation. When the lady sees another man, another lady talking to the husband, the pastor, and as a pastor, if you marry a pastor, you marry, I mean, your, 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 your husband is on an altar for everybody. everybody. If you are jealous, never marry a pastor. If you know you are a jealous lady at heart, pastors are not for you. Because for us, we marry the world. Everybody's problem. At 2 a.m., they will call you. And so you can't tell me, ah, but don't they know that it's 2 a.m.? No, they don't know. Because all that they know is that they have pastor and when they have a problem, they have to call. So if you are envious or if you are jealous, somebody, uh, uh, I can't share my man with no, you have to share. If you can't share your man with no man, don't marry a pastor. People call us at all hours. I can't remember one time about 2.30, about 3 a.m. somebody called me. Uh, hello? Yeah, hello. Uh, I was just checking if you were asleep. <laughs> at about 3 a.m. The person called. I was just checking if you were asleep. I said, no, no, I wasn't sleeping. I was waiting for your call. <laughs> Nonsense. I was just waiting for your call. So the person, I met the person some days later and I asked them, why do you call at three years? Because you see, you always intercede for us. So I wanted to be sure. <laughs> but at night there is intercession, not sleeping. You see, this is the kind of work we do. Whereby people hold us accountable. Uh, you. Now, when this lady sees the, the husband talking to another lady, oh Jesus, walks to the lady. What, are you a husband smasher? You want to take my husband from me? Hold the husband before the husband could say Jack. <laughs> and the man of God has been slapped for years. I think the slaps have got into the pastor, and the pastor doesn't know any way out that to pray for the king. It's the same thing. If you are not mindful, the flesh will lead you to destruction. He had a beautiful ministry. In 1998, I think he was sitting about 1,005 to 2,000 people. In five years, his church had reduced to 120. The time he came to me, he was telling me that the 120 is when people have really come. Because the wife doesn't mind sitting in front of the church and telling you, you don't need you in this church. I've seen how you are my husband. You are not here to worship God. You are here because you want to text my husband. This is not a place for you. I can. This place cannot contain both of us. So when a person is leaving, the person leaves with a friend, leaves with a family. The person leaves with a family, leaves with a friend. And the numbers started diminishing. Not because God had left the man, but because the man followed the flesh. 
the flesh will keep you prematurely. Oh, the, the man is still alive, the woman is still alive, and they are cohabitating. Nobody will encourage you to divorce. Me, I won't. And if he decides to divorce, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll make him feel the pain. I'll go to the church and say, oh, no, 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 your pastor is not divorced. He is happily married. <laughs> when you know the man is not happily married. No, no, the man is happy. That is the price. You see, if you're not mindful, you allow five minutes of pleasure to give you years of bondage. Minutes of pleasure. So whatever beauty you saw, now you see the beauty as a as a monster. I think the lady doesn't even look attractive to him anymore. Because whenever he sees the lady, he doesn't see that beautiful self. Sees the demon in the lady. Look at somebody and say, You have to follow God. Look at somebody and say, Follow God. That is the beauty of life. Now, the man called David failed to follow God's instruction. And because he followed self, the Bible says that God came back to him through the prophet God. And it's important for you to understand that if God will lift you to a place of prominence, he will always give you a voice. The voice of your pastor is the voice of God to your life. The voice of your man of God, those of you that are coming from other churches, your pastor's voice is your voice that God has given you. So when God had sent God to the man called David, the Bible says that he got to me and said, yeah, I've done something very foolish in the sight of God. But God has three things for you, three options. You can only choose one. It is either farming for seven years, through your people, or you flee from your adversaries for three months and they will pursue you. Or Three days of a divine pestilence, whereby it will not be about farming or about your adversaries, but God Himself will come for the kill. David had met with God and knew God and had seen God's mercies and His provision. And so instantly he came to the place where he told himself, It is better for me to fall in the hands of God. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. You have no idea. There are people you can be good to. And what they will do to you, you'll be amazed. How many of you have been betrayed by close people before? Okay, in London, people don't betray, I know. In, in Bristol, people don't betray, right? People don't betray. People don't talk about you. They don't backbite. They don't. They do. They gossip. People gossip here too? Oh, they, they, they gossip. Woman of God people gossip in, in Bristol. I thought Bristol was cool. <laughs> so whoever I provoke to jealousy, Bristol is like your city too. <laughs> now watch the test. Watch the test even as came forward. And the man of God had told him, these are your options. And the Bible says that David said he would rather fall into the hands of God. From morning to the appointed time, God had killed 700,000 people. And he said unto him, that no, this one you cannot. 
please tell God to change his mind. When God wanted to talk and advise the man called David, he did not ask him to go for a prayer retreat. He would have said to him, go into three day fasting, 21 days waiting, 40 days of consecration. He could have told him to do any of those things, but never asked him to do that. He would have said to him that call for the prayer warriors and let them pray with you. Could have said to him that there are prophets on the land, there are preachers, there are prophets, there are priests, there are pastors on the land. Call for a prayer rally. Let them pray for the city, let them pray for the nation, let them pray for the people. He didn't say that. He looked at him and he said, what is happening now over the land is an altar issue. He said, what you need to stop the hand that is killing your people. Because check the account. The Bible says, and when God saw that he had killed 700,000 people from morning till the appointed time, the scripture says that, and God repented the angel of the evil. So evils are erected out of altars. So God said unto him, God, after knowing the ways of God, said unto the king, the prophet called David, he said, David, this is an altar issue. If you want this thing to stop, raise another altar. The Bible says, he said, raise an altar. Go to, go, go, go to the land of Arauna, the Jebusite. Get an altar, raise an altar from there. The Bible says he went there and he asked for the land. He said, okay, you are a king, I'll give it to you for free. He said, no, 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 altars are not built for free. Altars are not built for free. They have to come at a price. It has to cost you something. So he erected an altar. And the Bible says when he erected the altar and sacrificed on the altar, Scripture says immediately, he sees. Altars happen to be the places of exchange and the places where demonic presence can be stopped. It is only through altars that you can stop a cause or a pattern in a bloodline or in a family that has been there for long. Only through altars. Ask somebody that before I continue, do you have an altar? Come on, ask somebody before I go. Do you have an altar? So, in day and dawn, look, come. Both of them happen to serve a bread of life. Two young men, one is as dark as myself, one is lighter than myself. And if I look at then they both have swag. They are, they are friends as well. They are cool, right? They are cool. Now check this out. Because they all sat in the same house, the altars of bread of life protects them. An altar happens to be the place of, pre of, of presence and the reference point of God in dealing with humanity. So when it comes to the assignment called the bread of life, it has an altar. When people serve in bread of life, like both of them, they will have the altars of bread of life defending and protecting them. So when their voices cannot be heard, the altars of the ministry defends them. 
Now, and so, if Delhi and Dawn have issues, and one of them wants to harm the other, and both come to the altar to pray, they pray that God, see what Dr. Delhi has done to me, or see what Dawn has done. We serve you. I have served you faithfully in the house. Avenge on my behalf. When that prayer is lifted, that prayer will be cancelled. It won't work. Why? Because every altar protects the offering and the offerer. Can I rewind? Every altar, every deity, every altar protects the offering. And the offerer. It protects him because he offers on the altar. It protects him because he also offers on the altar. Because he offers on the altar, if there is something placed, I remember, man of God, three years ago, I was preaching for resurrection prior, living bread ministry, um, Evangelism Marcos Church, the late Evangelism Marcos, now succeeded by Bishop Elvis, Archbishop Elvis, actually, Marcos um, Diakon. In their church, I was preaching. A young man had gone to the Archbishop and said to the Archbishop, I want you to lead me um, to plead for forgiveness with the man of God. He came to me and he told me that I want you to, I said, Archbishop, please, let's see tomorrow. I'm tired. After preaching, I'm tired. So let's do that tomorrow. I went back home and I asked God, God, why is that? God said unto me, the young man stole from the church. He said, the young man paid money that somebody had come to pray on the altar and left the money on the altar. The young man went and lifted the money. And so the thing that the guy had placed on the altar, this young man is running with the guy's problems. So the boy is moving from one problem to the other and it came back to him by revelation that the reason why you have been struggling in life is because you stole from the altar. Now check this out. Why should he struggle for that? Because when there is an offering on the altar, the deity, the God of the altar protects the offering. By protecting the offering, whatever is done on the altar, it means his eyes are on it. So because they are both serving the same altar, when he does anything and uses the altar as the preference, as the reference point against him, it will not work. When he also does anything against him and uses the, the altar as the reference point, it will not work. So if that will not work, how will any of them be given victory? It tells you that there are two kinds of altars, apart from the broad category of demonic and divine altars. We have what we call the corporate altar, that is what we have. The corporate altar is the altar that works for both of them. The second altar is their private altars. And the private altar is the altar that you have erected as your place of covenant. That you can say just like the man called Ezekiah the king. He can turn against the wall and say, remember. So in the times of adversity, what really speaks for you are the two altars. The corporate altar and the private altar. So ask somebody, do you think you have an altar? Please sit down. I'll be ready for prayer now. What is the time? Woo! Please be outstanding. It's past nine. And I'm not even started. 
I was now going to teach you how to raise the altar. And this past night. No, it's past night. 
altars that the Lord is saying you will swallow them up. Altars that have lived for generations. Altars from the past. Altars laid by great grandparents, great 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 grandparents, great 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 grandparents. Altars raised. When you read the Bible, the Bible says you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in high places. What the Bible was talking to you about was that there are altars in various levels. UK has an altar. Bristol has an altar. When I was coming and I was looking at the signages and I saw fish ponds and all that. Fish ponds. Fish ponds. Fish ponds. And I said to myself, look at the names. How will people live in ponds? In fish ponds. And of course, it tells you that probably when they started or when the community started developing, they were into that. If you trace their history, you might know that they probably were into agriculture um, and all that. But people are there. You don't know what people did to sustain lives in that area. People are in Bristol. You don't know all tests that were read. So you just walk into Bristol, and because you heard that Bristol is cool, you moved from the busy London. Or you move from other parts of Europe or Africa and said, okay, let me settle in Bristol. And you've been settling here. Those of you that were born here, you can ask your parents where they came from. So you move and you settle. And you don't know what they used to settle this land. Because every area has controlling forces. Yes. And you think you can just do well. Because you speak good grammar and you have a good accent. Accent doesn't bring conquest. Victories, there are people who speak better but they are impoverished. And they were dropouts. And they, they died prematurely because life is an altar issue. Look at somebody and say, Life is an altar issue. It takes an altar to make an alteration. Did you hear that? It takes an altar to make an alteration. So if there is a needed or a desired or a required change in your life, it will only take an altar to do that. I want your right hand to be lifted. I want us to engage the altars of God. I wish I could do something very unique here today and teach you how to raise your own altars. But because of time, I'll just stop it and lead you through prayer and see if we can minister to as many of you as possible. And you are praying to God. Say, Lord Jesus, as I lift up my voice, any ancestral hold, any altars from the past that has fought people in my bloodline, patterns in the bloodline. Any altar erected by the devil, I pray in the name of Jesus that as my voice is lifted, let the altars of the devil be swallowed by the altars of God. I deploy the altars of God. 
against the altars of the evil one. In the name of Jesus, lift up your voice and begin to pray that prayer. Come and lift up your voice. Pray that prayer. May the altars of God fight for you. May the altars of God be deployed against the altars of the evil one. May the altars of God Come on, we deploy altars right now. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Come on, let your voice be lifted up. Come on, let your voice be lifted up. Come on, let your voice be lifted up. Let your voice be lifted up. Come on, pray. Pray to the Lord of your salvation. We deploy the altars of God to fight against any satanic altar. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. Oh, come on, pray. Come on, pray. It takes an altar to defeat an altar. It takes an altar to defeat another altar. So ministries might be fought in Bristol because there are altars erected against churches. But today we erect the altars of God to swallow any satanic altar of the land. To swallow any satanic altar against the church of Jesus Christ. Any altar of darkness. Come on, let your voice. Come on. Come on. Come on, lift up your voice. Any satanic altar. sense altars falling apart. Let the God who answers by fire. Let the God who answers by fire. Come on, you can pray. Come on, you can pray. You can pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lift up your voice and pray. Lift up your voice and pray. Any satanic altar, any altar of an evil one. Come on, the weapons of our warfare are not enough. But they are mindful of the pulling down of strong bodies. Hallelujah. People of God understand this. I don't know if I will have the opportunity to continue with altars. I don't know, but altars cannot be helped. They can only be serviced. Altars, you can't help altars. You cannot. They can only be serviced. You either service an altar, you can't help it. 
Uzi wanted to help the altar of the ark. He killed him. When the same altar got into the house of Obedido, it prospered him. The same thing that killed one prospered the other. It tells you the approach to an altar determines the benefits. How you approach an altar determines the benefits you get from the altar. Look at somebody and ask the person, how do you approach the altars of God? Oh, please, I dare you to demand an answer. How do you approach the altars? What answers are you getting? How do you approach them? How do you approach the altars of God? Thank you, Jesus. Altars cannot be held. You can only service it. Can I humbly ask you, when was the last time you serviced your altar? When altars are not serviced, the strength of the altar diminishes until it feels unwelcome and it leaves. So there are people who are present and presence left them. And because they had the physical altar there, they thought they still had the presence. The Bible says, and Samson said, let me shake myself like before or in previous times. And he, the scripture makes a very sad conclusion to that. He said he didn't know the spirit has left him. It means the presence and the spirit can leave you without notice. Are you here to pray? What was the last time you serviced your altar? So if altars speak for people and they won't speak until it's serviced, can I then submit to you that your altars have been quiet because it has lacked service for a long time? I wanted to help you raise your own altar. And understand what it is. The reference point, the beginning chip you have. Please lift up your right hand. I want to give you two minutes to scan through your family. Scan through bloodlines. Either your mother's line, your father's line, but scan through bloodlines. You might see a pattern. Patterns. They say that when something happens once, you can call it an event. If it happens twice, you can call it a coincidence. If it happens three times, you have to be worried because it might be a pattern. And if you look around, you can tell that there are certain things that have been there. You might not be the first to encounter it. They get so close and yet there is no breakthrough. They have the almost mantra. I almost got there. I don't know what happened. I was almost there. I almost had that breakthrough. I almost had that. I almost got that. I almost. And almost doesn't count. And so if you look at the people, you can tell people can sniff it, but they can't have it. 
People start ministries in Bristol, they appear as if they will grow and immediately they go under. It's a pattern. But it takes an altar to destroy an altar. It takes an altar to break an alteration. I want us to pray today. Just come through your life, family lines, your community, places where you have established your business, your area, your industry, your your career program. Everything that you want to do, you might be the first person pursuing that in your family. Which will require that it, it, it is your responsibility to erect an altar that will defeat another altar that will want to swallow you up. An altar signifies who is in charge. And I want you, if you scan, I want you to pray. I want us to erase any handwriting from the past. Whatever thing, I want you to deploy the altar of our Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that 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 He He made for our redemption. Say, Lord Jesus, today I stand before your throne. I come before you, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I reference your name. But today I pray that any pattern in my bloodline, any altar from my community, from my family, from the bloodlines, from the industry, anything that has been done against my life, against that of the people in my family, as I lift up my voice, let the altar of our God swallow any satanic altar. In the name of Jesus, Lift up your voice and begin to pray that prayer. I don't know how you want to pray, but pray that prayer. Let any satanic altar be swallowed up. Let any satanic altar. I see altars falling apart right now. Let any satanic altar. Come on, lift your voice. 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 Let it be satanic altar. I see altars falling apart. Let God arise. Let God arise. Let God arise. Let God arise. Let every enemy be scattered. Let God arise. Come on, lift your voice.
until now. The Bible said the kingdom of God suffered violence. And the violent, the violent don't ask in truth. God is looking for takers, not askers. Look at somebody and ask the person, are you a taker? Bible wants people, God wants people who can go into the enemy's camp and take what is true. Like pray that let there be a divine restoration. That whatever they took from you, God will bring them back to you. In the name of Jesus, may the Lord bring back the days and the years that the power of the Lord was in the power of the Listen, people of God. In the times of moments of adversity, it will take an altar to bring a breakthrough. You hear what I said? I just said, in the times of adversity, when you get into a realm or into a zone, into a place where there is no way out, it will only require an altar to bring you. What do you mean, young man? I'm glad you asked. When the Red Sea was before the people of Israel, he took an altar, the staff of Moses, to pass them into two. When the people of God were, when they were confronted with Jordan and they needed to pass over, the Bible says they carried the ark. And when the carriers of the ark, the altar, stepped into the Jordan, they parted. It takes an altar to part. Oh, that's not only it. When Elisha took the mantle that represented the presence of God, the Bible says he got to the river, Jordan, and asked, Where is the God of my father? You see, God responds to fathers. God has never been a God who related with sons. The reason why I said, honor your father and mother that day, your days will be long, is because of his God's divine relationship with fathers. Sonship is a position. It is not a genetic privilege. Children are born, sons are given. Unto us, the child is born. Unto us, a son is given. So, sonship is a divine position. You can be somebody's child and choose not to be a son. Because sons honor. So, a dishonoring child cannot be called a son. A son that honors or a child that honors gets into a realm of a position of sonship. Because God responds to fathers, he called on the God of his father, but did not only pray, he used what symbolized the presence, which was his secret place, which was his altar, and smote Jordan with it, and Jordan parted. So when you get into difficult regions and realms of your life, what you need 
is not prayer warriors. What you need is an altar. Can I, can I pray with you on this? I want to pray with you on this. Where have you got to do? Is there anything you need God to do? I'm going to give you some few minutes. I want you to pray and deploy altars to work for you. Did you hear what I said? I want you to pray and deploy altars to work for you. Wherever you've got into, there is an altar that can speak. There is an altar. If you get to a difficult region, if it's a ministry, if it's a business, if it's something new you want to do, and it's not about the lengthy period you spend in prayer, it is an altar. The, the, the times I was I was reading on on, on on ancient prayer, ancient prayer, and I realized that most even Christ, the prayers that brought him greatest results were very short. Father, I know you hear me always, but so that these people will know. Father, I thank you. And he does multiplication. Short, but there was evidence. There were results. Why? Because he had a secret place. Jesus was the only offering that was the offerer. Or the only offerer that was the offering. He was the offering and he offered himself. He said, I laid down my life. I, not for him. I said that in history. I lay it down and I take it back. I will. So, the thing is, nobody killed Jesus. Jesus killed himself. So, if you look at what they did, crucifixion was the means of transition. But more of the blood being on the eternal altar. He needed the blood to speak always. That's why yesterday I was doing something to the mountain of Calvary. His side pierced. Blood gushing. Him crying for seeking. We want to pray to God. When whatever you need to happen, I'm telling you, if there has been a delay in your life, it's been an altar issue. Any altar that has been erected against your cause, any altar, say, Lord Jesus. As I lift up my voice and as I begin to pray. Now listen, is there anything you want God to do? Is there any need you have? Can I help you to engage the others? There is no place I have been to and told on altars that people did not have overnight instantaneous testimonies. 
Because the Lord, there was a personal revelation God gave me. He said, most of the battles and warfare you have been fighting are altar issues, but you don't deploy altars. And so you keep praying for 24 And these days, people can brag. I pray for 12 hours. And so after praying for 12 hours, what does that mean? We take pride in, oh, and when I start to pray, I'm able to pray for 18 hours, and people are still unsaved. John Knox said, give me scorner or I die. And check the prayer, he prayed. He called in the man with a camel on his. He knelt and prayed and took Scotland for God. I've been praying for how long? And even your own family, people are not saved. It tells you that you have not engaged or pressed the right buttons. Today, I want you to press the right buttons. You want to deploy the altars of God. Whatever you need from the heavens, let the altar of the eternal Emmanuel bring them to you. Lift your voice and begin to pray. Lift your voice and begin to pray. The altars of the eternal Emmanuel. Come on, pray. Oh, come on, pray. 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 Pray on to God. Jesus. 